When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham. Unfortunately, we've got another defeat to talk about today following Tottenham's 2-0 loss against Wolves at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday afternoon. And then we're discussing the upcoming daunting trip to the Etihad Stadium on Saturday when Tottenham take on Pep Guardiola's Man City team. As ever, Alistair Gold is joining me. Ali, have you finally recovered from a Tottenham defeat as well as staying up late to watch the Super Bowl? Yes, yes. At least one of those is a really entertaining game to watch and I can promise you it was not Tottenham Hotspur against Wolverhampton Wanderers. Um, yeah, you know, this is the thing with us. We don't like defeats. It means that the podcast is always going to be a bit more kind of reflective and I suppose it's got to be a, probably even more analysis because you've got to hold a bit of an autopsy into what happened. But yeah, hey, it gives us a lot to speak about. There's a lot of things that annoyed the two of us uh, during the game. There's a lot of things that I found really interesting in what Conte said after the game as well. I gave him a few questions that, let's be honest, he gave big old long awkward pauses before, which... <laughs> which isn't the worst thing because sometimes it means they're really thinking things through. Um, and that all just gives us loads and loads to talk about, which you guys are, guys and girls are going to get over the next, what, 45 minutes, an hour or so, as I try not to rant too much. We'll get straight into the defeat anyway. 2-0 to Wolves, goals from Raul Jimenez and Leander Dendonka. It was 2-0 after 18 minutes or so, and Antonio Conte obviously realised he had to change things up. Dejan Kulusevski was sent to uh, go one down uh, down the touchline, and I think it was, what, 28 minutes in when he finally yeah. made the change, and Ryan Sessignon was the unfortunate one to come off. I know Conte was speaking after the game, you're saying, in terms of the performance, maybe one of the best he's seen at Tottenham so far. But, I mean, if you're looking at the scoreline, Wolves thoroughly deserved it. And Tottenham were probably, perhaps, fortunate to just be 2-0 down at half-time, given uh, the chances Wolves had. Uh, Spurs themselves did have a few openings, but other than that, Christian Romero header, uh, what was that, 88th, 89th minute. Yeah. Jose Sarr really didn't have a lot to do other than maybe that hurricane shot to start the second half, but I think that was pretty comfortable, really. I mean, do you just want to give your thoughts on the performance, first of all? Without crying, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, Conte the first answer was that he kind of felt it was actually quite a good. Obviously, the first 18 minutes were just a disaster zone. Although, weirdly, they came out and started really well. They had like an attack within the first minute. And you thought, oh, hello, we've got a response here. And then it just went, phew, just like jumped off a cliff in terms of quality. But then, as he said, he felt that actually after that, Spurs really, um, how did he put it? He said, Wolves have got the second best defence after Man City. Um, but yet Spurs created 17 chances against them and that. It's like, yeah, I get that. But let's be honest, they were already 2-0 down. The Wolves took a little bit of a step back. And I think Bruno Large said it best, to be honest. He said, when we had the extra man in midfield, we controlled the game with the ball. Then Spurs made their change, switched to, like, was it a 4-2-3-1? So we adapted and then we just controlled the game off the ball. And I make him absolutely right, to be honest. Like you say, I think Romero header. Um, yeah, Kane had a, a shot, didn't he? That when he ran through, um, Son had that chance when he ran through as well in the first half. But ultimately, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm not one to go down the it's only Wolves kind of side that sometimes people go down. But I do think Tottenham Hotspur at home against most teams should be going out there expecting and being, trying to be confident in winning these home games. 
It's just not a fortress right now at all, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I put that in my talking points this morning. It's like, we all know what White Hart Lane was like in the final season. An incredible emotional place that no team could come and get any uh, could get a win at. They just couldn't. Um, Wembley, despite people kind of sometimes looking back on that and, and kind of ridiculing maybe slightly Spurs' time there, Spurs did adapt. And Spurs actually became pretty... You know, I don't want to say formidable, but they they won the majority of their games at Wembley. They certainly were a you know learned how to play there. But it just hasn't happened at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium yet. They just haven't had that consistency there. It's not a place that any team comes and fears. I think a lot of players from opposing teams come there and think, "Wow, what a beautiful stadium! This is awesome! I'm going to come here and play my best." And they do. There's you know, the crowd, there's there's noise at various points. Of course there is. When it's loud, it is so loud. It's ridiculous. But would I say it's an intimidating place for opposition teams to come? I don't think it is yet. I think that's still to be, you know, something that's still to be built. Um, and, right, I mean, I think Conte said yesterday, didn't he? I think it maybe said it's a sky. He said if you're going to lose two consecutive games at home, your Champions League is impossible. I think he's probably right. If they, if they can't find any consistency, especially at a time when everyone, you know, you remind me every single match that that top four rows is so wide open, and you're quite right, it is. But at the moment, Tottenham aren't going to be the ones that are going to find the consistency to change that. Um, it's going to be someone else. So, uh, yeah, it was it was a very dismal performance overall, I thought, in terms of a reaction after Southampton, there just wasn't one. Um, and I just, you know, he's going to have a full week ahead of Man City. And I really wonder how many changes will be made, how many players that are injured will come back. We'll talk about some of the kind of the pivotal players that have been out who perhaps in previous times would not have been considered pivotal. Um, yeah, I, I didn't like a lot of what I saw out there. And I, I don't know about you, but it just... Other players taking enough responsibility out there? Don't get me wrong. I think Conte's tactics weren't particularly spot on. I think the fact that he had to change it after 28 minutes showed uh, it was almost like an admission of defeat in terms of the tactics. Um, but also those players out there, I don't know, it just didn't seem like a desire out there. There wasn't the pressing that we see. And I don't know. What do you make of that? Uh, wasn't good. I think looking at the first half, you're just thinking Kane's the only one out here, you know, working extremely hard to try and make things happen. And no one else really was having that big an impact on the game. And that obviously played into Wolves' hands. And then when you're going 2 0 down against them, you've just got such an uphill task on your hand because, like you said, what have they conceded about 17 goals or something in the Premier League this season? Yeah, uh, done really well defensively. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't great at all, but at least Spurs were still creating opportunities. It wasn't like they weren't creating anything. They did, but they just did nothing really when they had the chances on goal. What's such a shame. And for a team who is in the mix for the top four. You're looking at that performance and thinking you're going to be nowhere near the top four come the end of the season. But they're just so lucky that everyone else is dropping points at the moment and just still giving themselves a glimmer of hope because they've got all these games in hand where they can still win and jump into fourth. But if there's a repeat of, you know, yesterday in the Southampton game, then I, unfortunately I don't think Spurs are going to be fourth because you're looking at the next few fixtures City away, I think everyone's already writing that off. Burnley away is going to be incredibly tough because they're scrapping for the lives at the moment and it's always tough there. Leeds away is going to be a tough one. Then you're going into March. Everton, who need the points. Manchester United and West Ham, who are challenging for the top four. So, yeah, it's uh, Conte needs a reaction from his Tottenham team and hopefully we will see that on Saturday at the Etihad. I think... We need to discuss, obviously, the goals, uh, what they conceded. Uh, obviously, we were speaking during the game. For the second one, you were saying you think it was more Ben Davis, weren't you, rather than Lloris? 
I think Hugo Lloris made a mistake. Don't get me wrong, yeah. he did. Of course, he miscued a back pass. Um, uh, sorry, a pass across to Ben Davies. But ultimately, I didn't feel that there was the threat in that moment still. You know, Ben Davies was there. He had the opportunity to kind of get the ball away. But he just kind of hit this really awful half clearance without really looking up just straight to a Wolves player. I can't remember who it was, but they were in so much space. It was like the worst place to put it. So I'd actually say that Davies' half clearance was worse than Lloris's kind of miscued pass, which still technically went to Davies, just a bit askew, and maybe took him took him further back than he really wanted to be. So, yeah, I felt Lloris, I'd, I would put some blame on certainly for the first goal. The second one, yes, of course, he put Davies under a bit of pressure, but I didn't think that was as pivotal to what happened next. Um, yeah, Hugo Lloris, is, there's two sides to this, you know. I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. The first goal... He, with the second shot, certainly, which was a weaker shot, I don't know, I, I'm not a goalkeeper of any standard. You know, I'm absolutely horrific when I have to go and go when I'm playing football. But to me, with my layman's view and eyes, it looked like the second shot, which was kind of a, a half-connected, bouncing kind of volley thing. It looked like Larice could have got a hand and held it, or at least... I don't know, just pushed it somewhere else. But he kind of did this weird half punch, which obviously just went about three foot straight to, um, you know, around Jimenez, who, to be honest, looking at others for also blame, why is Wolves' top scorer standing alone, unmarked in that box? It was just incredible. He not only had the time to volley it back, he had the time to chest it down and then half volley it kind of into the goal. Um, there was a great photo that went on. I say great. There's a, there's a photo <laughs> going around on social media showing the three, I think it's the three defenders standing in the box on the six-yard line. The I think it's like five midfielders all just standing outside the area in a line nowhere near any Wolves players. And there's about four Wolves players all just roaming around absolutely free. I mean, Conte must look, he must see images like that. And just like just want to bang his head against the wall. It's like, what is that? Is that's not anything that he would have taught them to do. That is just natural gravitating towards your own teammates rather than the opposition. Um, and yeah, second goal. Second goal. There was a touch of misfortune in the shot, of course, hitting Sanchez and Benton Kern and hitting the post. But again, the ball hits the post. And you've got three, it's about three Spurs players there. Certainly Sanchez and Bentonka were right there because it hit them. And they'll just watch as Dendonka just, just runs in and slams it home. And uh, Sanchez starts beating the ground in absolute anger. And, and Bentonka's like, what? And you're like, come on. All it needs is a bit of reaction speed to at least throw yourself in the way of that. Um, and do you know what I felt a little sorry for was that there was this moment about was it five, ten minutes later when Hugo Lloris caught a cross and the crowd just did this huge, ironic cheer kind of thing. And look, I'm going to talk a bit later about Conte and the crowd and I'm definitely going to be on the crowd side and the fan side. I felt in that moment, though, I was a bit like, oh, really? Really? As your club captain, a World Cup winner, just signed a new contract that you're all absolutely delighted that you're staying for. And he's kind of going to get those ironic cheers as if like, oh, you loser kind of thing. Well done, you did something right. And I just felt that was the only misstep for me from the crowd. I understand the frustration. You know, if you've paid all that money and you've watched two goals come in within 18 minutes, you probably are looking for someone to blame. But I just felt I'd hate the I hate an ironic jeer because it serves no purpose. It like it always makes the player who's the subject of it probably feel that little bit worse about themselves. It just doesn't improve. Although I, I'd say that Loris, funnily enough, did make a few saves after that, but I don't think that was anything to do with the crowd. I think that's because he probably, I don't know, maybe he's just experienced enough to try to block that out. But yeah, that, that's not one of my favourite things. The ironic year, it, do, it does, it does no favours to anyone. But um, oh, defending was just awful. I mean, how I know we've kind of steered away from Lloris, and Lloris was at fault, he definitely was. But how that back three has remained the same back three for these last three matches, I still can't fathom. 
Yeah, exactly. I'll just go back to Larice before we move on to yeah, the defence. And for me, I'd put them both down to him, both goals. Uh, first one, I mean, we saw it live and you only get a few seconds of obviously see it live and then watching it back on the highlights last night. You're thinking, why Why on earth is he trying to palm the ball out there for the for Dendonka shot? Because there's no Wolves players around him. No. So, like you said, he could have just brought, tried to bring it down with one hand or no. maybe just push it up a bit and then... That's what I was going to say, pat it up it. in the air almost and grab it at the second opportunity. Yeah, and then the second one just all came from a, a really bad pass from him. Sent Davis back a few a few yards and put him in the corner. And then, yeah, it, it wasn't a great clearance at all from Davis, but Larissa has put him in that situation. For me, I think it was avoidable if he'd got his pass right, but he didn't. Anyway, let, let, let's not talk about the two goals too much. <laughs> I mean, we don't really want to. Uh, but yeah, defence... Uh, even the last game against Southampton was question marks over a few of the performances. Davinson Sanchez, especially, didn't have the best of games. It's strange, really, with Sanchez because he does have these good games often, and then he yeah. just totally lets himself down with some bad performances. And there was concentration. Yeah. Oh, I mean, concentration for that one. The gift he presented Wolves with at the start of the second half with that yeah. loose touch when he was trying to like just move out of the defence and lost it and thankfully it culminated with you know Davis uh, putting Jimenez off with the tackle and then Larice managing to save it when he did get his shot away. Uh, yeah, I mean we're gonna come on to Joe Roden that way. Why Joe Roden's not getting a chance? I, I don't know. And you're looking at that performance. We don't know if Eric Dyer's potentially going to be back against City on Sunday. So does Roden get his chance or does he just persist with the, you know, the same back three again? I mean, do you want to just give us your thoughts on Roden first of all, Ali? Yeah, I mean, I asked Conte about Joe Roden last night. And he kind of gave me a look as if to say, you get <laughs> why do you ask about him kind of thing? And he did, he did a long pause, as he did for the first answer as well. Um, and then he came out with an answer, which I think can be taken two ways. I've, I've noticed some of the media have taken it a very straight way. What he said, if, if anyone hasn't seen it, was he kind of said, um, you know, he praised Joe Roden. He said, oh, you know, he's a great guy, so committed, everything. Um, and then he said... What did he say? He said, well, he was about to say something else and he kind of stopped himself and he went, well, maybe I have made a mistake. Maybe, I, you know, maybe maybe I, sh I should have picked him or something. But then he kind of swiftly followed that up, which people kind of maybe glossed over slightly with the phrase, something like, um, you know, for me, I felt I had to put the best players out there on the pitch in the moment. Um, and maybe I was thinking of different things or something, which I don't know suggests to me that he doesn't think he's one of his best players. Um, I don't know. You know, the Joe Roden stories, I don't think people probably have been quite aware of exactly what's been going on with Joe. So he, uh, in a training, an accidental collision in training just over a month ago, about six weeks ago, he fractured one of his ribs and, sorry, he cracked one of his ribs and fractured cartilage as well alongside it. He was in a lot of pain, but he was... It was at a time when I think, I feel like, Spurs, oh, Romero would have been out, wouldn't he? And I feel like someone else was out as well. So they really needed him. And he was he was playing through a lot of pain, or he was, certainly was training in a lot of pain. He was on the bench, ready to come in. And then he did get his chance against Morecambe, um, came in, playing through pain again. And then within the first few minutes, he went up for this big aerial challenge with their big striker. I cannot remember his name is. Um uh, that guy absolutely went into. I don't know if you remember, kind of Joe Roden going down to on the floor after that. Um, and what had happened was in that, which again there was no malice involved, but it was a collision in midair. He cracked a rib on the other side. So we kind of noted during that game that he was his running was really restricted. He was sometimes it was, it was almost like a kind of a half limp run. It was a strange thing. And now, kind of, we know in hindsight. Yeah, he was then playing with two cracked ribs, one on either side and that um, fractured cartilage as well. 
So the poor guy, he's been in a hell of a lot of pain, but he's been just continuing. He's making himself available. He's not taking himself out of the fire and on. So whether Conte has had that partly in his mind that, you know, he, he didn't want to pick him or start him when he was injured. But the problem is, is when I asked him about Roden, what, a couple of months back, he made it very clear that he was Eric Dyer's backup. And that was, he said, oh, it's, it's unfortunate for him, but, you know, he's the guy that comes in when Eric Dyer isn't playing. And Eric Dyer obviously has been playing well. I was like, okay. Then Eric Dyer got injured. And it was like, so Joe steps in now? <laughs> it's like, no, no, he doesn't. And uh, he's kind of just, we had that weird period where we had Davinson Sanchez playing in the centre defence, which was just utterly horrific. You know, it's not the role for him in that kind of centre of the three, because that role is a is one where you've got to have a little bit about you and passing the ball. You've got to stride out a little bit with the ball as well. And you've got to kind of organise the defence. It just didn't work. So when Romero came back, they obviously switched to this back three with Romero in the middle. What's so about Romero? Romero's a superb player, and he is a level above, I still think, pretty much all of the other Spurs defenders. Um, however, would I say he's a leader and organiser? Probably not. I think he concentrates on his own game, which is about you know that aggressive kind of front foot defending, which he's very good at. But I don't see him out there as of yet telling everyone else what to do. It may be that, you know, he's still young, he's only 23, and he's obviously learning the language, and it could be something that does come to him. Um, but, yeah, so he's not organising. Um, ben Davies is an older head. I, I wouldn't say he's a leader. I think he's an experienced guy, but I wouldn't say he's a leader. Um, and Davinson Sanchez, yeah, we've already spoken about him and, and his – kind of brain farts he seems to have, which is such a shame because it really kind of messes up what otherwise would be quite good displays at times. So, yeah, so kind of in summary, I have no real idea why Joe Roden wasn't given a chance. When it, he must be sitting there thinking, how bad does that defence have to be? You know, do they all have to, like, just suddenly go missing one day for me to actually get a chance and just not turn up at the training ground? And, you know, it's no secret that, he wanted to to head off in January, get some minutes somewhere, but unfortunately, they had off. Uh, well, they had interest from Premier League clubs, clubs in Spain and France, and just nothing kind of worked for both the club and Joe Roden. Um, and I just wonder now whether his window of opportunity, which never really existed because Conte didn't play him, is already going to close because I think Eric Dyer, you'd think should be fit for the City game. It's not a definite, but certainly with the timeframes we've been given, it should be that we'll see Dyer back. And that's that's Roden's chance gone. Whether he decides, you know, I don't, look, I'm not saying that I will have made Conte feel guilty um, in any way, shape or form. He's like one of the most experienced, uh, you know, not stubborn, but a manager who knows his own way. But I do wonder whether he realises there's a slight... I don't know. There are people that are noticing that he's not playing Joe Road and out there in the wider fan base as well. So perhaps that means Joe Roden gets chances against, I don't know, Burnley and Middlesbrough in the Cup and games like that. I just feel sorry for him. You know, I think he hasn't always been perfect when he's played, of course. I do think often when he's been brought in, a bit like we used to say about Brian Hill, he's kind of come into a makeshift team. And, and that's not always easy for a young player coming into. But I do feel like he's probably been solid on the whole. Um, and we've never really seen him playing at a really good back three. Um, and, and also, the weird thing about him is, I, I get the dire comment that he's his backup. I understand why Conte feels that. But also, Joe Roden played on the left side of the defence at Swansea. That was his preferred position. And he can play on the right side of a back three. He's actually a really versatile player in that. And he's quite good on the ball as well. He's quite confident. Um, and there's a lot who say about him that he will become a bit of a leader type. They feel that he's going to be an organiser. Um, but yeah, just one reason or another. Every manager at Tottenham has kind of, could be a pressure thing. They're worried about results. They've always looked to the more experienced players. And, and Joe Roden hasn't got a shot. I mean, I mean, yeah, I think you share a similar view on Joe Roden, don't you? Yeah, certainly. I thought he he was looking good in the team during Jose's final four games. And, yeah. you know, if Jose didn't get the sack, then maybe Joe would have carried on in those final six or seven games uh, 
of the of the season. Uh, there's a massive difference between the Championship and Premier League football, and what Joe needs if he is gone to you know become a Premier League regular is appearances, and he's just not been given that. I think he's had what. One Premier League appearance this season against Crystal Palace, was it, when he came on? Uh, into chaos again, didn't he? He yeah. came into chaos that match. That match was all, that, like, once they'd actually, yeah, I think I remember we kind of analysed that one. I seem to remember at the time that he wasn't actually that bad that day, but he was just playing alongside players that were all over the shop and he was trying to make up for them. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's had what a few appearances here and there. Yeah. I don't think he's ever let himself down when he's played. And he did okay against Brighton when he came on. Did what Romero does in terms of running out of the back line on one occasion to win the ball and get it moving forward. And I mean, I just go back to that Carabao Cup semi final first leg game against Chelsea when Jafet Tanganga had an absolute nightmare in the first 45 yeah. minutes was at fault for the first one and then it head, headed it on to Davis for the second one what went in and you're thinking there's no way on earth he's going to stay on the pitch here you think he's going to get hooked at half time and Roden's going to get brought on and he never did and there's a question for you then does Tanganga who I like and I just think he's going through a really tough spell at the moment do you think Tanganga gets a bit of preference because he's a homegrown player within Spurs? Do they push him that little bit more because he's an academy product and there's that little kind of luster of having him playing? I don't know about that. I think with Tanganga, he's got his versatile, isn't he? He can play central, he can play right-sided centre-back. I mean, you could play him as a right wing-back if you wanted, because he has done yeah. at well, times. Rogan can play in all of those back three positions as well. Can't play yeah, wing-back, of course, no. But, but obviously, Conte just sees Joe as his centre-back deputy for Eric Dyer, And yeah. the fact is, not being selected when Dyer's been absent really, you know, says it all for me. Going back to that... Cup semi-final defeat against Chelsea. You're thinking in the games after that when Dyer still wasn't available. You're thinking, yeah, Roden's going to get his chance now. Tanganga's going to drop out, but that never happened. So I just think he's been extremely unfortunate. I know you talk about when Sanchez played centrally, there's no leader. Roden's captain Wales on a couple of times. I think he's won the captain's armband. Yes, he has. So there's certainly a leader there. He's definitely got the qualities in him if he's been given the armband on Wales duty. The one thing I just don't want to happen this weekend is if Roden comes yeah. into the back line, City then absolutely tonks Spurs and, yeah. and you go, well, that's why Joe Roden doesn't play. <laughs> exactly. you, you just don't, don't want... Goes, I told you. Yeah, you just don't want that to happen. Uh, hopefully game time does come his way in the next few weeks because what have we got after City? You've got Burnley in midweek, Leeds away, Middlesbrough the following midweek. Yeah. So there's essentially going to be opportunities there for Conte to change his team. Whether he does, I don't know because go back to the FA Cup win over Brighton, Romero started, Sanchez, Davis. I mean, that's his first choice backline when Eric mm-hmm. Dyer isn't available. So you're thinking maybe for the Middlesbrough game, potentially again, they're going to need to win anyway, depending on results against Burnley and Leeds. I, I don't think he'll be taking any chances at the Riverside. No, no, I don't think so at all. Um, yeah, we, we've seen what Middlesbrough can do against Premier League <laughs> outfits, especially those trying to chase the top four. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's going to be an interesting one. It is. I just, I, I'm a bit like you. I do worry if he if he throws him in against City, it would be a really unfair kind of marker of what of what he can do. You know, if we're really lucky, we might see another Davinson Sanchez sliding header tackle that doesn't work at the Etihad. That is still a, still one of the worst bits of defending, although a brave one. But that's the other thing with Roden, you know. Conte keeps praising his efforts in training and saying how committed he is and the desire he shows. It's a bit like, don't you want to reward him for that at any point? <laughs> it's kind of otherwise you're just promoting the idea of work hard and I'll say nice things about you, but you'll never play any football for me. Um, well, I mean, yeah, he, he came on late against Brighton, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. A couple of minutes there. But. 
Well, Conte's always said, if you work hard on the training pitch, opportunities will come your way. But that's just not been the case, has it? All all managers say that, though, don't they? It's just that classic kind of cliched line to try and keep everyone working hard. But of course they have their favourites, you know. It's just life, isn't it? I think there's one other player we need to talk about who's not had a lot of luck on his side when he has been at Tottenham, and that is Ryan Sessignon. He was handed a rare chance in the team against Wolves, starting as a left wing back with Sergio Regalan on the bench. Unfortunately, 28 minutes were on the clock and his number came up. He looked extremely shocked when he saw his number come up on the fourth official's board. Had to make that long walk past the east stand, round by the south stand towards the dugout. And Conte did make a bit of a beeline for him when he did eventually edge ever closer to his technical area. Had a few seconds with him, obviously, to chat about probably why he'd taken him off and, you know, gave him a pat on the back. And he went and took his place on the bench. I mean, I did a piece on Sessignon this morning. He's just had rotten luck since he's been at Tottenham. He was injured when he arrived at the club. I mean, I think, what did he play? Two of Maurizio Pochettino's games. Made his debut off the bench right against the it was two Everton. Last games, I think, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, made his debut off the bench against Everton. Might have played stoppage time. Came on against, was it Red Star Belgrade? Set up Ericsson for the final goal. Yes, that was it, yes. And then after that, when Jose came in, He had opportunities here and there in the cup competitions, maybe a few in the Premier League, but a regular run just never came his way. And he needed a loan spell last year at Hoffenheim, did well, got minutes under his belt and then returned this season, injured in pre-season. So he missed a large chunk of that. I think he was two games under Nuno he played. And then he's had a few minutes here and there under Conte, I mean, he was speaking, he was in front of the media ahead of the Mura game, saying basically this chance to start for him was uh, potentially, you know, kickstarting his Tottenham career. And then he got sent off after 31 minutes. A few, the following month, played well against Liverpool as a left wing back, then got injured again, was given his chance on Sunday against Wolves and subbed off after 28 minutes. He's. You just wonder if you're ever going to see the best of him just going on his look so far at Tottenham. Yeah, I agree. And just very quickly, because I completely forgot to mention it about Joe Roden, I am told that some of the senior players within the squad have been pushing his claims, you know, kind of saying to coaching staff that he probably, you know, he, he does deserve to have a chance. I completely forgot to say that earlier, so I thought I should add that in, that there are players that believe that. But ultimately, it's down to Antonio Conte. And yeah, on Ryan Sessegnon, He's been very unfortunate. He definitely has. He's had a lot of injury issues, especially those hamstrings. Um, had that really terrific loan away um, with... It's gone out of my head. Hoffenheim. Uh, Hoffenheim, sorry. Yes, in the Bundesliga. Did very well there. Um, I would say, if I'm going to be critical, and he's a player that you know everyone probably knows that I've got really high hopes for, I don't think he's particularly taken his chances when they've come. And I felt that... Even with just 28 minutes uh, yesterday, I felt that he didn't really go at Samedo. I mean, there was an opportunity to be had there of getting down that left-hand side, and I don't feel he really did. His passing stats I looked up after the game, something like 54% of his 11 passes actually went to a Tottenham player. And, you know... I can kind of, well, I can. You know, I saw some people afterwards on social media going, oh, why didn't he take off Ben Davies and all that? It's like, well, if you kind of judge Session on those 28 minutes, he probably was the one that was going to go if you wanted to switch to a back four. Um, But yeah, he looks so dejected. You know, he did that good thing of going off the opposite side to kind of help the substitution be made quickly for Kulisevsky to come on. But yeah, that then brings you that just walk of, so it's like a walk of shame around the pitch where the fans are applauding you, but you're thinking, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I just don't want to be here anymore. And then, yeah, it was good that Conte, to be fair, actually went up to him and looked to be explaining the decision because often we'll see that happen and we'll see whoever the manager is for whatever club, they'll just watch the match and they'll completely ignore the player and think that oh, that's a problem for later. 
Uh, so to be fair, he went over to him. He does really like Sessegnon. He believes he can be an absolute top player. But yeah, he just needs a lot of work. He needs to... I think it's... I mean, touch wood, good news at the moment. He doesn't appear to have had any injury issues recently. Um, you know, some might suggest it's because he's not playing, so he's not getting the chance to get the injuries. But obviously, we know players get injuries in training as well. Um, yeah, I mean, both wing-backs, it was another kind of day, wasn't it, like that, in terms of I don't think Matt Doherty pushed his claim whatsoever. You know, there's such an opportunity. If anything, Sessegnon and Doherty are the two most natural wing-backs Tottenham have. And this Conte system utterly relies on really good wing-back play. It really is. Like, it's almost the foundation of where most of the creativity comes from. You know, if you, he probably felt he could afford to ship out the likes of uh, Ondembele, La Celso, Ali, Hill, because it all the thrust comes down the flanks. Um, so when you, you know, you must look at these wing-backs and just say, what are you doing to me? You're killing me, kind of thing. Because obviously, you know, we've, we've aired our views on Emerson and his lack of um, ability in the final third. It's, you know, it's, it's often a joke in the, in the media area that best case scenario when Emerson's going forward is a corner for Spurs, um, which is, is a bit of a sad indictment in terms of his attacking play. But, you know, we could definitely still stick with the argument that he's 22 and hopefully he'll get better and all of that. But for Matt Doherty... You know, he's a natural wing-back. That is the role he, he was made his name at Wolves in. And I just feel like moments like yesterday, some of his touches were sloppy. There were moments when he had a chance to get the ball into the box and he either hesitated to cut inside or he hit a really poor low ball that just went into the first man. Um, I don't think... I think we're at the stage now where I don't think we can say he's been unlucky. I think he's had opportunities and he just hasn't ever shown it, you know. Of course, confidence played a part, but then I, I asked Conte. That was my first question, which drew the first big, long pause from him. Um, I often think with Conte, that long pause can be translated into, I really want to say something honest, but people, especially players or people inside the club, would not like my answer. So I'm going to think of a more friendly, you know, uh, PR version of this answer. But to be fair, he kind of still said roughly what he wanted to say. I said, you know, there's a lack of confidence out there. You can see that in some of the players. Is that something you can fix yourself or does it kind of have to be down to the players? And he just very quite bluntly, I guess, said, well, we've all got pressure. I, I have pressure on me all the time, you know. The top players, you know, that's part of the business. That's part of this job. You should be able to play with that pressure kind of thing. It shouldn't be something that puts you off. And he's kind of right. He is. You know, that's what the elite do. And that's they do shrug off the criticism and the pressure and the, and the confidence thing. You know, of course, there'll be little moments in the game where you'll see confidence issues. But ultimately, they still do the basics right. Um, I just feel with Matt Doherty, he's not. And... and and Ryan Sesson's a different example because, you know, I think, was it Matt Doherty must be, is he 30 now? He must be. He is, yeah. I think it was 30, 10, 30 recently. Yeah. Obviously, Ryan Sesson's a different case. 21, still very young. Um, but, yeah, both of them, this was their chance because I still don't think Regulon's made, has really shown that he's a, the perfect wing-back yet. It's a new role for him. And, and you know, we saw against um, Southampton that big old glaring miss that he had early on. Um, this was a big chance and they chucked it down the drain, I think, both of them. You know, yeah, of course, Cessadon could say, well, you didn't give me much time to do it, but, you know, if you get five minutes, you've got to show your absolute maximum in it. And, um, yeah, he didn't in 28. So, yeah, hopefully more we'll see more of them. But every time, sadly, we've seen the Doherty-Cessadon combo at the moment, it just hasn't lived up to the bill. I think with Sessignon, for me, I think you've got to feel a bit for him. And the fact is he got 28 minutes on the pitch and in those 28 minutes, Wolves were in total control, really. And he didn't really have that many opportunities to get forward. I've just been looking at the numbers from Conte's first season at Chelsea. And I, knew, I know you mentioned the importance of the wing-backs getting forward mm -hmm. and contributing Victor Moses and Marcus Alonso were Conte's uh, wing-backs at Chelsea in 16-17. They contributed with 10 goals between them. Yeah. What have so, we got from Regalon, Sessegnon, uh, Emerson and Doty so far? One, 
Regulons against Leeds. I mean, we can't give yeah. Emerson's goal against Brighton. <laughs> yeah, no, needs no, a massive deflection. No, no way in. No, no, no. That's a bad cross. But I'd be also intrigued to see chances created it was probably far higher for those two Chelsea players as well. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we see a big improvement there. But as you mentioned, we've just not really seen enough from them so far when they have been given a chance. And if you're not taking your chance, game time's not going to come your way, unfortunately. One player who hasn't been playing in the past few weeks and has been a big miss, Oliver Skip. Again, uh, we've said this in a few podcasts now, when he's not played, it's noticeable. Chelsea and Arsenal in September, uh, prime examples of that. He's been injured recently and I think you sent me the numbers, didn't you, last night when he's not been playing? I read those out for you. Yeah, go for it. Well, you know, everyone hears me wax lyrical about Oliver Skip, you know. Yes, he is now the current um, fan club that I'm now the president of and I I will hand out laminated membership cards for that. Um, And the stats, so I don't even have to say anything because the stats say everything. So when Oliver Skip's being in the starting lineup for Spurs in Premier League matches this season, Spurs have won 10 times, drawn once and lost just three games. When he hasn't started in the matches, Spurs have won just once. They've drawn twice and they've lost five. It just says it all. It just absolutely, you know, I know people say, oh, you can't read too much into stats and all that sort of stuff. But yes, you can. <laughs> when it's something <laughs> like that, it's like, I spoke, well, we spoke about it at the top of the show about this. It's like, we speak about desire and drive and aggression that you need. That's all of a skip. When you take him out of that midfield, there it, it just isn't there. And, you know, I think Harry Winks, I do feel he's a scapegoat sometimes, but I also feel I don't believe he's the most aggressive midfielder. I think there's times, you know, certainly, you know, you and I was noticing it. It was a few times last night when, uh, sorry, yesterday afternoon, when he'd, he'd hang a leg into a tackle, you know, that kind of way where you're trying to nick away the ball rather than going full-blooded into a tackle. And he can do it. I've seen him do some crunching sliding tackles before, but he just doesn't do it every time, whereas Skip, you know, you feel that he would absolutely run through someone to get Tottenham that ball. He would absolutely give everything. And I think it's a damning indictment of the senior players at Tottenham that a 21-year-old is pretty pivotal to Tottenham's midfield nowadays. Um, and yeah, I, I do think he's a talented player. And and I think, I get the impression that Conte is desperate to have him back as well. You know, I asked about his injury the other day and he was like, I'm pushing the medical department to get him even sooner because he's such an, he's an important player for us. And it's like, well, (laughs) you know, I think Benton Kerr was promising again yesterday. I don't think he was great. I wouldn't rave about him yesterday, but there were certainly some more good moments, especially that pass to Son, uh, a few little kind of nice touches. And I get the impression that he will be quite aggressive, um, certainly picking up the yellow cards, as we were told from people in Italy would. Um, But, yeah, Skip's just such a kind of gaping chasm when he's not there in that midfield. I think when you have someone that is kind of ramming into challenges, reads the game well, helps protect that defence and recycles the ball quickly, that's another thing he's very good at, is get the ball back, quickly give it to the attacking players to do what they do. And, and you know, we know Spurs, there's no secret, Spurs are on their best when they're breaking, when they're counter-attacking. That, that's kind of how they play their best football. And Skip facilitates those kind of attacks. Um, and, yeah, I just... You know, he, he's been a bit unfortunate in the last week or so. He's, he had that uh, groin injury and then during the recovery process got a bit of an infection in it, which which hadn't helped. And that's put it back slightly. Um, they need him against Man City. They do. I actually saw another stat. I really annoyingly can't remember the numbers, but I saw another stat that said that when you start with the trio of Skip, Hoybier and Dyer behind them, Spurs have conceded an incredibly low amount of goals. I can't remember what the stat is. It's one of those where I've absolutely pointlessly brought it up because without number, it doesn't really mean anything. And I will try to look for it um, as, as, as we're kind of doing the rest of the show. But yeah, I think Conte will probably point to that. He will point to the fact that has he, you know, in recent weeks been able to put out his best team? And the answer is probably no. You know, he lost Romero for a long period. He's lost Dyer pretty much as soon as Romero came back. And Skip, you know, whether people believe it or not, because 
you know, there are people that are still bewilderingly for me think he's just some kind of another, he's a sideways pass merchant and all this sort of stuff. It's like, no, he's so much more than that. And if you can't see why, you know, Mourinho thought he was going to be a future captain, why Potts saw something in him in the first place as like a 16, 17-year-old, Nuno, Nuno, he was the only player I could get Nuno to talk about because he was like, okay, fair enough, he's class. Um, and now Conte is, is saying that he could be an absolutely top player. He's just got to help him improve on some of his um, kind of the more attacking side of his game and, and his re- releasing of the ball into the right areas. Um, yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't want to bang the Oliver Skip drum forever, but, uh, you know, certainly Spurs have been skipping a beat without him in that midfield, I think. Yeah, he is so important and those numbers just back it up completely that he is a huge miss when he's not being playing. I think if he is back at the weekend to take on Man City, I mean, I can see a formation change anyway. I can see it being 3-5-2 this weekend. Uh, that's what Conte did when Liverpool visited North London in December. I think it was Deli Ali was in midfield, wasn't he, that day? Tongi as well. And Hoybeg, no, Hoybeg was absent, wasn't he? Was it Skip who started that game against Liverpool? I think it will have been, wasn't it? I think it was, yes. I think he did. Yeah, given the threats, City oh. pose. And he you, well, I can't I remember. Really skipped, I Winks, it was Harry Winks. Time. Harry Winks started because he made that really good tackle, didn't he? What got the South standing, everyone cheering, leading up to yes. the first goal. So, yes, it was Harry Winks. Yeah, I can see uh, a midfield three, given obviously what happened on Sunday against Wolves and the fact you're coming up against such a talented Man City team. So, I can see it being Skip Benton, Kerr, and then I don't know who it'll be out of Hoibjerg and Winks. For me, you'd want Hoibjerg in there, you know, one of Conte's generals, uh, and he'll certainly be, you know, up for it after not making an appearance yesterday. I've got Go the on. stats. I've got Go the stats. And it's actually apparently it was on Match of the Day, which I haven't watched yet. So Spurs haven't conceded a single Premier League goal under Conte when Dyer, Hoibier and Skip have all started together. I didn't realise it was that good. There you go. Right. It's not a pointless stat. It was actually quite a good one in the end. So Spurs could be winning at the Etihad then on Saturday if all three are <laughs> playing. Yeah. Let's not go too far, but it certainly will improve their chances of not getting destroyed. Yeah, I think if it's going to be a midfield three of, say, Hoibjerg, Skip, Benton Kerr, the only issue I'd have there is where's that creativity coming from? I know Winks has his critics, but he has shown when he has played that, you know, he can get the ball forward uh, against Southampton, Liverpool and Leicester. He did have a hand in a few of the goals. So whether Conte persists with that, I don't know. Can you see a 3-5-2? I think the fans are now calling for it. It's quite funny the way kind of social media works. It's like, yeah, 3-5-2 was before it was like, oh, it's so defensive. (laughs) We're all the creative players. Now everyone's calling on him to play for the three-five-two, which is quite funny. But I can understand why, because yeah, definitely I think some of the better performances have been with a three-five-two. Um, I was going to ask you a question actually on Harry Winks, and it was someone said it to me yesterday, and I've kind of been mulling it over in my mind, and I think it might actually be true. And in my view, anyway, does Harry Winks look at his best when he's not under pressure on the ball, when he's not being pressed? Is that when we see the best Harry Winks? Because when he's able to play those clever little passes and the ball's over the top, and but when you put him under a bit of pressure, is that when you see? I mean, there were a few times you and I were both kind of like, what? You know, we spoke about Sanchez having that moment where he let the ball run under his feet. You know, Winks had a few of those yesterday where it's almost like he lost his concentration in the moment and the ball went past him. Yeah, I'd probably definitely agree with that. To be honest, there were a couple of occasions yesterday where passes went astray and then the crowd are getting on his back. I think for me, Winks is a confidence player. Mm. Yeah, You know, he, he needs to be in good form and that. And we've seen against Southampton, Leicester and Liverpool where he does have a bit of time on the ball and not so much pressure that he works better. Uh, I don't think it helps anyone, you know, when you know people are booing you. And he, he certainly had an impact on his 
game yesterday. First half, he wasn't at the races. I did think he was better after the break. But is that uh, snap back a bit? And Spurs had the extra midfielder. Yeah, probably. Probably, yeah. yeah. Could, Could be. be right there. But I think Winks, for me, yeah, is a confidence player. You need him on this game. There's, there's a player in there. I mean, Castorai back to that Real Madrid Champions League game. Fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. just getting it's just getting it out of him, and I mean he's made that point clear before. He just needs like a run in the team, really, doesn't he, to get back yeah. to his best? He's getting that. He is getting yeah. that, and I wouldn't. I don't know if he's getting back to his best. That's my only worry. I wonder if he's starting to go in the other way now with regular matches. I mean, Hoybier would have been sat, sitting there on that bench yesterday, thinking, "Yeah, great decision. Well done. Well done for resting me." Kind of thing. Yeah, I was the problem. Um, actually, on that stat, the full stat I've just seen it is. So those three, Dyer, Hoybier and Skip, all started. When they started in Premier League, five games, no goals conceded. When they haven't all started in the same game, it's been seven games, 13 goals conceded. What a difference those three players make. Um, yeah, so I wonder whether, you know, yeah, if we see a three of, say, Skip, Hoybier and Bentonker, would Bentonker maybe be asked to push up slightly and, and almost be, I suppose... So Skip would probably sit behind Benton Kerr and Hoybier and they'd be asked to push up, I guess, is the way it would work. Um, I think you have to probably go 3-5-2 at the Etihad, otherwise you're just never going to see the ball. You're just not going to get any position. Um, and I think Emerson, obviously, will be the, the wing-back again and, and Regulon. I suppose he could have a full-strength squad. Trying to think. I don't know, obviously, about Tanganga. We haven't really heard too much about Tanganga and how fit he is, but he probably wouldn't have played anyway, or started anyway. Um, a full week to work with him? Eh, maybe, maybe uh, you could end up actually with a better performance than you've had in these other games where it's been a game every couple of days. But, yeah, no, I, I, I do think probably the three-five-two. although, on the, the caveat to that, I even asked... Conte about Benton Kerr whether he's better in a two or three the other day and he said no very much a two he can play in a three but I prefer him in a two because he's better suited so yeah having said all of that we're, we're sticking Benton Kerr and what Conte thinks is not his best formation yeah uh, I think what we also need to discuss before we bring the podcast to a close is Tottenham's form so far in 2022 I didn't realise it was so bad when you look yeah. at the results on paper. Uh, Dan Kilpatrick, one of our colleagues, he tweeted it out yesterday uh, during the match that it was uh, Spurs. Obviously, if they lost the Wolves, that'd be three straight Premier League defeats and that would then mean it's five defeats from nine in the Premier League. So, uh, five defeats all from nine in all, all competitions yeah. so far in, in 2022. 2022. Then you've got Man City to come to that on top of that. So that could potentially be four defeats in the Premier League and six from ten in all competitions. Uh I mean, you're looking at Tottenham's form. That's not the form of a team pushing for a top four place. That's the form of a team looking behind the shoulder at the other end of the table. Yes, yes. Obviously, you know very well what that's <laughs> like right now. Uh, yeah, it's it's weird because obviously we were talking about content in the Premier League and the unbeaten start, which went on for quite a while. Um, and now, yeah, they're, they're in pretty bad form. They really are. I think I had someone tell me yesterday, um, it's no better than Nuno. It's like, well, no, it's better than Nuno. And Nuno, they weren't even creating chances. You know, they are creating chances at the moment. It's just the defence. I, I do think, and, and of course, injuries are part and parcel of the game, and this could be a, more of an indictment of the depth of the squad. But I think when he gets his first choice 11 out of there, we'll see a different Tottenham. You know, we've just spoken about having Dyer and Skip back. And I do think, despite the criticism Dyer gets, he is an organiser in that back line. And he adds a little bit of those diagonal pinged balls up front are also quite an effective method of getting Tottenham on the, the front foot suddenly. So I think if you get those two players back in the spine of your team, the, the back three suddenly looks more like um, more balanced, you know, likely to be Davies, Diane Romero. That's a far more balanced one. And it allows Romero to go on those little runs up the pitch that I know you love, um, you know, from the right side. Um yeah, form-wise, 
He has. He, he's suffered from these injuries. Um, he's got two new players in Benton Kerr and Kulisevsky. And, you know, we haven't really even mentioned Kulisevsky, who he had some moments, you know, it was a nice pass to Son. And I think he had that uh, shot himself from the edge of the area that Ben Davies headed it down to him. But I don't think he's really wowed yet. And despite what the Swedish Spurs fans keep telling me, and I appreciate it, maybe we just haven't seen it yet, I'm still not seeing him use that right foot very much. Um, although people could quite rightly say, do we see right-footed players using their left very much? And that's true. But the only reason I say that is because I'm continuously being told how both-footed he is. Um, but I still feel he's cut inside a lot. Um, although, to be fair to him, he was playing centrally. Um but I think he looked better. Would you say that? I actually think he looked better yesterday. I, th- I think we're kind of we got more of a sense of what he can do. Um, he just uh, he needs to adjust. It's such a different game. It's so fast the Premier League compared to what he's used to. Benton Kerr definitely could see that at times. He was a bit like, "Whoa, what is this kind of thing? This is not Serie A." Um, but yeah, so so sorry. Back to Conte in the form. When you take out the injured players, you've got two new players who are coming in don't really have got to get up to speed and they're replacing four players going out who probably had, well, certainly three of them were, well, they should have been adjusted to the Premier League. Uh, and Brian Hill was, was hope, hopefully getting there. Um, you can kind of, it's all about that squad. It's about the quality of the rotation. It's about, I think Conte said this himself, it's like you need to have a, a point where your squad, you're replacing players, and you're not seeing a difference in the quality. I don't think Tottenham are there. Um, you could argue that maybe some of the quality isn't there in the first place to then be rotated. <laughs> it's like neither the first choice or the second choice have got the quality. Um, I don't want to write off the season when I say the summer is so crucial, but it really, really is. Um, I hope there's a lot more to play for this season, and I hope they don't just kind of peter out into either a conference league spot or even worse. But... Um, he needs to, uh, you know, he needs to get a handle on it. Um, I mean, uh, uh, should we talk about the fans now? You know, we'll, we'll talk about what you said about patience and stuff before we kind of head off, because I do think that's quite crucial. And it kind of ties into what I was just about to say, is that he's very much called for patience. He said, you know, his words were, this is a long path. Um, <sighs> it's a difficult one, that. I, I, I think he's right. And if someone like Conte, who is, you know, is a man that builds things at teams, whether he sticks around to see them for much longer, that is another thing entirely. But he certainly tries to build and lay foundations at teams. And if he says it's a long path, and it probably is. However, I completely understand why Tottenham fans heard that and were just like, oh, get stuffed kind of thing. <laughs> because how many times have been told it's a long path and how many times are they going to be told it's a process and a project and all these sort of buzzwords? Um, and, you know, the last two years, two and a half years, they've watched their team just lurch from one bad decision to the next and, and someone else starting a new, you know, project, another new dawn. Um, and it's all very well saying there's a long path, but Spurs fans will be worried it's another dead end at the, um, at the end of this path. Um, and also Conte himself. It's all very well telling the fans to be patient, but will Conte be patient? Will uh, Conte stick around to see out what, yes, needs to be... Oh, God, it's like the painful rebuild type part 742, isn't it? It's like they're making mistakes in some of their transfers. They're not improving, and, yeah, Conte looks frustrated. He looks fed up. but yeah, he's he's calling for patience. I mean, what do you think? Should, should we should everyone be patient? Yeah, I think there needs to be an element of patience. Uh, it was never going to be a quick fix. Tottenham's painful rebuild. It was always going to take some time. Fabio Paratici was just never going to fix everything in the summer. He's going to take a few. Transfer windows. So, yeah, there's when got to be. When will the pain stop, Guesty? When will the pain stop? Hopefully soon. You just don't <laughs> want, want it to be like uh, Manchester United. Obviously, when Sir Alex left in 2013 and they've gone through manager after manager, 
I don't even think they've ever come close to winning the Premier League title since then. Almost a decade, at least, we're going to have to wait for the pain to stop. Well, ho- hopefully it doesn't. But I mean, <laughs> this could be the worst case scenario. Uh, but over the past few years, when I have missed out with the Champions League, I was having this discussion last night. They were never a million miles off the Champions yeah. League. It wasn't like they were like when Chelsea, when Conte went into Chelsea and. Chelsea had, you know, just scraped the top half finish that year. Spurs have always been, what, five or six points off and these just yeah. stupid results, what have cost them. Uh, I think there has got to be definitely some patience, but when you're losing against Southampton and Wolves, two teams you are expected to win at home, uh, fans aren't going to be patient. They want the results because they're expecting to beat those two clubs and if you want to be in the Champions League those are the games you need to be winning as well as beating your own rivals on home soil as well yeah. so yeah I can understand the frustrations as I totally can because these two defeats can prove costly come the end of the season I think for me Spurs are just very lucky to still be in what five five points off West Ham they do have three games in hand but Fourth is there for the taking for someone this season because everyone's dropping points. I mean, Wolves could come into it if they can put a consistent run together. They really could. Uh, what other yeah, team just... yesterday did you say could still get into the top four? <laughs> Was it Brighton? <laughs> I think it might have been Everton <laughs> with, with that 18-point gap to the first spot. But I got your point. You were trying to make out how wide open it was. Yes, uh, basically we're saying because everyone else is dropping points, someone could come from absolutely nowhere yeah, and clinch far. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there needs to be an element of patience, but you need results as well. Yeah, which is this is the kind of eternal paradox <laughs> of patience, isn't it? And football is, yeah, <laughs> we get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want you to kind of slowly, gradually build, but we want it now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, yeah. I think that's the thing. I think we're going to be stuck with this painful rebuild tag that Poch, let, you know, gave us. And um, but yeah, like I say, the pain just keeps rolling on because Spurs are just making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Whether it's in managerial appointments, whether it's in transfers, whether it's with having to bring in certain player for certain managers and then that manager leaves and then you have to rip up the squad and start again. It's, you know, I think we just want a bit of planning, a bit of foresight, a bit of thinking. And, you know, it's like they've got content, they've got a terrific coach. I think that was always the most important thing. Whoever came next had to be a terrific coach, had to be able to improve players. But when you get someone like Conte, you automatically raise the expectations within your club and you have to raise everything else to meet that. And, you know, you and I are doing a podcast today and we're talking about, oh, Spurs need this 21-year-old back. But Spurs should stick this um, 24-year-old um, Wales international from Swansea who hasn't really played much. These guys can be the saviours. And, and, you know, we've given our reasonings for why. But when you look at it from that point of view it's a bit like the squad shouldn't have to be reliant on such young players like that such inexperienced players it needs to be a much better squad and and that's down to those above and uh this is why the whole patience thing i think probably wears a little bit thin for fans they just uh i think the key thing is this saturday I suppose please touch wood don't get tonked by Man City. There has to be some semblance of a performance. Even if they do lose, which probably most people expect, it needs to be something that gives them a little bit of a foundation to build upon. You know, something that suggests, okay, I see where we're going with this. Um, And that's what it needs. I mean, going to Man City, full week on the training pitch with Conte, no one's expecting a win. There's got to be no, no pressure on them to get something here. Could Spurs put in a good performance and actually get a point from City? Well, they've done it before. They've done yeah. it before. They, they've, Spurs are one of those sides that actually do give City problems. You know, we've seen there was the 2-2, wasn't there, at the Etihad. Was it one of Poch's last ones uh, yes. there with Lucas Moore? Lucas. Yeah. yeah. We've seen them come this season to Spurs. And Nuno, you know, Nuno, who now is the forgotten or... 
mocked man and, and they beat City on the opening day. Um, we saw Mourinho beat them with Bergvine's uh, wonder goal. We've seen uh, Celso scoring that second goal as well. You know, it's it's not like Spurs can't do it. Um, even in the, the, the Carabao Cup final, where, yeah, of course, City absolutely were dominant. But people forget, City won 1-0 and only scored that goal, what, about the 82nd minute or something? It was pretty late in the game. So, whilst for our point of view, we probably look at it, oh, three points to City. Of course it's going to be, maybe from the City side, they probably see it as actually this is one of those games that we probably struggle a little bit more with. And we haven't even mentioned the Champions League quarterfinal two legs, which, you know, were just probably <laughs> some of the most frustrating games Man City have ever had. Um, so, yeah. It, it, it's possible. It's possible. I even remember the one where it was a defeat, but I think it was, was it the one nil when Foden scored not long after one of those European games? And, and That was literally a couple of days after the yeah. Champions League uh, game. played really well at right back, didn't they? Yeah. 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 So it's not, there have been, of course, there's been a few very comfortable wins for them, but on the whole, Spurs do something. And yes, if he gets a week, I'd hope that, the best possible scenario would be that those injured players maybe can be involved in training earlier in this week. And if they can, then he can spend a whole week properly drilling the team into what he needs. Because that's been my biggest concern about these last couple of performances, that for a manager like Conte, we've seen players just standing all over the place and looking really disorganised, which is not the Conte way. He very much drills them. Um, so whether there's something deeper there, whether that's players just not listening or naturally stepping into bad habits, I don't know. But yeah, like you say, a week on the training pitches at Hotspur Way, maybe. I think we actually might be able to go back to Hotspur Way this week. I think the press conference is potentially going to be an in-person one. So not that makes any difference. Not that I'm going <laughs> to be able to go out there and, and shout at them on the training pitches, but uh, it will be nice to get back there. Yeah, I think we'll leave that here for this week's uh, latest episode of Golden Guest Tot Tottenham. Hopefully next week's one is a much more upbeat one. So we'll have to wait and see what happens at the Etihad Stadium on Saturday evening, half five kickoff there in Manchester. Then we'll uh, finish there for today's podcast. So as ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news.